Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. From CNN Audio, this is The Assignment. I'm Audie Cornish. Among Democrats, it's more or less verboten to say Joe Biden should not run for re-election, to say that the polling around how voters feel about his age is littered with red flags, that even this late in the game, maybe Democrats should reconsider the leader of the ticket. But this week, a new high-profile poll threw that out of the window. The poll was from The New York Times and Siena College, their latest poll of 2024 presidential battlegrounds. It focused on about six battleground states. And then David Axelrod, yes, our David Axelrod, my CNN audio colleague and former advisor to President Obama, released a statement online after this polling came out, which reads in part, quote, The stakes of miscalculation here are too dramatic to ignore. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. But he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interest or the country's. So as it happens, David and I are here in New York for CNN's special election coverage. We snuck up to the studio so I could ask him a few more questions. David, <laughs> welcome to the assignment. Good to be with you. Adios. How much trouble are you in right now? None. I mean, you know, look, <laughs> I, I'm at a stage in life where I don't worry about what kind of trouble I'm in. And honestly, what was surprising to me was not, I got, you know, a couple of notes from people. Uh, I just got one from my 77-year-old cousin saying, I didn't know you were an ageist, but... Uh, well, then. Yes, but that's family, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but so, to, what, what so was talk surprising about my premise. Was a, when I said it was verboten, mm -hmm. was that true? Is that a thing you really... In general, the well, last couple I mean, months, look, it's I, been I, considered not good for not the party so, to say that yes, out loud. Yes, and I felt, listen, my view is, or has been, Joe Biden's running. That's a reality. He's not going to change his mind. And anything that you say that weakens him, you know, or anything Democrats say that weakens him, I've got sort of split responsibilities because I'm here at CNN as an analyst, but anything you say that weakens him, increases the possibility of Donald Trump, which to me is a, you know, is a very frightening prospect because I take Donald Trump at his word about what he would do. And I love democracy and I'd like to see it survive. The thing is that it's probably the last point where he could reconsider. I think the only person who could take Biden out of this race is Biden. So let's get into that. Um, we'll talk about the election itself down the road, but let's talk about what you are saying precisely. Yeah. Because what I read in your comments then, online and later, is you said something along the lines of, just do a check and see if this is the right thing. Yes. That's but a you have been with a campaign. And so what is involved in doing that check? Well, it, it involves really doing an honest assessment of where things are at. You know, people say, you were there in 2011, Obama was in the same position and so on. No. And for two major reasons. One is he was 51, not 81, and he wasn't running against Donald Trump. And those seem to me like two pretty big 
differences. And, you know, my people are saying when they bring that pushback up, when they say, look, Obama was polling poorly one year out as well. They're not just talking about the polls themselves. They're talking about the one year out, that this is too far out to make the the call. Well, but the question is, what is it that's really holding Biden down? Yes, there are concerns about the economy. We had those concerns as well. We overcame them. On Election Day, Mitt Romney still was out polling us on the economy, but we were polling best on who who would fight for the middle class, who would fight for people like you. And we spent 14 months framing that race. Uh, You know, every campaign is about what are people going to be thinking when they vote? And you want to think long term, how do I get them to where I want them to be? One of my concerns, you know, has to do with the way they've approached this campaign so far, because, listen, Joe Biden has done a great job in many ways. I think he's done things that have historical importance, Uh, the infrastructure bill, science and technology manufacturing bill, the climate stuff. I mean, really stuff that he he should want a town and he should want people to appreciate, but they're not right now because that's not what their lived experience is. I mean, right now people are grappling with inflation and that plays out in terms of what you see on your cash register, what you see on your gas tank. And what we learned in the Obama can- years was you can't jawbone people into feeling good. All right. And so, so they've made tactical mistakes. But, but on the big point, Adi, about we're a year out, and the thing that is different is the, the major thing that you hear from voters when you get into focus groups is he's too old. He's too old. And uh, they've sort of written him off, a lot of these voters, because of that. And the question is, how do you fix that? So what you're saying is because it is a kind of it's not fixable, so to speak. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you know, the arrow only points. I, I, I'm aware of it every time I look in the mirror. The arrow, the arrow only points one way. And he's in the most difficult job on the planet. And by the way, I think handles the responsibilities of that job very, very well. I mean, when you look at his dealings in the world, when you look at his dealings with Congress, Is but not ex- in front of the camera not in front of the camera. And that's how most people experience him. Is your experience also affected by the first campaign against John McCain, in which there was some criticism of the late senator in terms of how he looked in approaching the economic meltdown? Well, that he sort of came off as, as a little bit more uh, disconnected, disconnected or even doddering. And this in is some what aspects. worries me about the approach. When, when you run ads, touting Bidenomics and talking about how great the economy is doing, I think people look at that and say, man, he is out of touch. And yes, he's done great work to get jobs to where they are. He's done great work to lead us through this pandemic. The seeds he's planted with infrastructure and manufacturing, they're going to yield dividends in years to come. But right now, people aren't feeling great about the economy and they're looking at it through the lens of inflation. And you just have to work with that. But if you don't and you you want a report card, you're going to be disappointed because they don't feel like giving you an A or a B right now. Uh, I mean, I speak as someone who never looked forward to report card day. Like, if you know you're going to get C's and D's, don't demand the report card. Two blunt questions for you, David. I'd expect nothing less. When it comes to a campaign, though, who's really going to sit down with the boss and say, Maybe well, we, we shouldn't do this. Yeah. I'll tell you something. The An har- incumbent boss. The har- like, that feels deeply unlikely. The hardest thing to do 
when you work for the president of the United States. And no matter how long your relationship has been, it changes when that person assumes that mantle. The hardest thing to do is to tell him unpleasant truths, inconvenient truths, painful truths. But I think that the people around him should... Uh, now, I, I mean, I, I know exactly what they would say if they were here. They would say, well, then if not him, who? Well, like, no, no. I want you to finish this thought. Okay. How I'm hard just is to get it through all your questions? Uh, no, here. no. I want to, how hard is it to have that conversation? <laughs> Very hard. Because you actually know the people involved, right? This is yeah. the unspoken undercurrent to yes. this conversation. Yes. It's not like you don't know well, Joe Biden. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, Barack Obama was as good as anyone at hearing, I mean, he would get irritated, but he would listen. And I had a lot of tough conversations with him over the, you know, we didn't have, it wasn't all seashells and balloons for us. We had some really hard days. And, you know, I'll, I'll never, and I've written about this, so I'm not saying anything. You know, the night before the Denver debate in 2012 with Mitt Romney, that turned out to be such a disaster. We had a very bad run through. And frankly, we had had a really hard set of run throughs, which is not unusual, by the way, for an incumbent yeah, president. Yeah, for debate prep. Incumbent presidents aren't used to having people in their grill in the way that they, find in that first debate. And, um, you know, I had to tell him after the run through, he, he said, well, I think that was pretty solid, don't you? And I'm like, e you know what? Actually, no. And he was very angry at me and said things that I'm not even sure you can say on a podcast. But he knew, he was angry because he knew I, he knew I, I, but that's a one-time performance. Guy. That's very I different love... from sitting down, like I right. said, and telling someone, listen, everyone out there thinks you shouldn't be doing this. But here's what I am afraid they're telling him. What I'm afraid they're telling him and what, I'm, what he's telling himself is, you know, they told me not to run in 16 and I could have beaten Trump. They told me not to run in 20. And when I lost the first couple of races, people were writing, you know, big geniuses like that guy, meaning me and others, were kind of writing him off. And we won that. They said we weren't going to do well in 2022. We did historically well for uh, uh, an incumbent party. You're, you're building so, the case there, David. No, I understand. <laughs> okay. I understand that. And they, you know, and in 20, they said we were f too old and we defy them. Here's the thing. He's four years older, okay? And he's asking people to elect him to a term that would end when he was closer to 90 than 80. That is a very hard thing to do. And- there are performance issues, not on the job, but just in terms of the kind of communications elements of the job that I think are really weighing him down here. And, and they have to make an assessment. I'm not sitting there with reams of data. I'm not saying, you know, but the thing they should not do is ignore all of that. You know, we, yeah, we were in a tough spot a year out, but we also knew we were in a tough spot and we were doing, and we had a, we had a plan and a strategy now, maybe they do. Maybe they do. But it's not completely apparent. A lot of it seems to be reliance on Donald Trump uh, being faltering in some way. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like I've seen this movie before. You know, I remember in 2016 when everybody said, well, he could never win, not access Hollywood and all this stuff. No way that he's going to win. I think he's, you know, whatever you think about Donald Trump. He has a feral genius for playing this, this environment. And the fact that he is where he is right now speaks to that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're here talking with David Axelrod. 
Hear the latest coverage of the Israel-Hamas conflict on CNN's Tug of War podcast. To what extent Israel is responsible or Hamas is responsible for the suffering of people on the ground? CNN's Jeremy Diamond is in Starot, Israel, near the border with Gaza, where fierce fighting is underway. Israel is obviously going to be held to a higher standard. Mm. Israel is a self-proclaimed democracy. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Assignment. I'm here with David Axelrod, and we're talking about his recent suggestion that President Biden should seriously weigh the wisdom of a re-election campaign. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting is you said you're not necessarily encouraging somebody else to run. Because I don't think a primary challenge would be successful, and I think a primary challenge would uh, only serve to uh, make it harder for him in a race against Trump. But don't you think the primary is where this weighing and this questioning and this conversation about whether he should or shouldn't would and should have happened? Well, I mean, I'm of the belief that it's very hard to defeat a president of the United States in a primary campaign. It but like that's where you get to raise the question. But it about is, very, whether but or not it is possible. But it is possible. Yes. But this isn't like an academic exercise. There are real life consequences to this. You run a but primary. You, would force... you run a primary campaign against the president. Yeah, that's a good theory. I'm just saying, but, but history, you're the one who's saying history, maybe he shouldn't but do history, it. But you've left no alternative. Be, like, but history, no. There's there there are two alternatives. One is he decides to move forward, and I think he probably will. And the other is he decides not to. But I think if he were challenged in a primary, he hasn't. Uh, incumbent presidents have enough residuals to win those primaries. We saw it with Jimmy Carter. We saw it with George H. But w. wouldn't Bush. it allow another candidate to be better positioned to jump into the race? Like right now, with so only you're saying a as year, a standby. So if something isn't happened, that what we're looking at on the Republican no, side, well, 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 right? Just a lot to, of people who are getting who are ready in case the. Well, I think that the Republicans who started in this race started with the supposition that they could beat Donald Trump, that the field would narrow and that there are enough people who wouldn't vote for Trump and enough people willing to consider someone other than Trump to become the nominee of the Republican Party. I don't think it was, well, we'll just hang around and see if he. It, maybe he'll stumble. And if it was, they badly miscalculated. That's true. But I guess what I'm saying is y- you've raised the this idea, you've raised this specter of, hey, he should think about this. And I guess we're all asking to what end? What is to it what an end? academic exercise? Or do you think other names can come forward? Like what? what well, would if, you he, see if he obviously happening? if he didn't run, other names would come forward. If he didn't run, there would be other candidates. Would they be in a good position to run for president at this point? Feels well, late. I mean, no, I mean, look, um, one of my concerns a year ago was that, you know, he would uh, make a late decision and deprive the party of the kind of lengthy campaign. You know, I'm a actual, you know, as as obscene, as, as crazy and as tiring as these long campaigns are for the American people, they do serve a purpose. They are the world's longest sort of oral exam and the toughest. Uh, and they, they're, you know, Barack Obama would not have been president if he didn't have two years to prove himself before the election. You know, uh, maybe Ron DeSantis would be closer to becoming president if he didn't have to submit himself to a campaign. So yes, it, uh, the ideal thing would, would have been to allow for such a campaign, but I don't think a campaign with the president in it is helpful because if he's going to run, he's going to be the nominee. I really believe that. 
And uh, I think that a campaign that involves attacking wound, or diminishing him, him. wounds him yeah. doesn't doesn't help. One person that we haven't talked about that much, actually, uh, is the former president, former President Trump. And the Biden campaign is really quick to point out that Trump has his own, quote unquote, senior moments. Right. And that that on top yeah, of yesterday, the he said that he was president in 2021. Exactly. In court, I believe. Right. Like this yeah. was in his testimony which, of course, is one of many cases for indictments. Maybe that's why he had those classified documents. He thought that he was still president. He's got former associates who are flipping on him all the time. So given all of that, that's kind of another question they have is, so why should Biden drop out, right? It's not like he'd be up against some, forgive me for saying this, sort of young, vital person. Well, he's... Trump isn't young, but he's energetic. It's really kind of remarkable, like that New York Times poll said 71% of people thought Biden was too old to run, and 39% said that of Trump, though Trump is just three and a half years younger than Biden, and I think it's a function of performance. Bernie Sanders is older than Biden, but you hear less of that about him because he is is energetic, and, you know, people age in different ways and at different paces, so, but the bigger thing, and the point that I think is very valid is, this isn't going to be a great year for Donald Trump. Right. Uh, I mean, we see him this week making a spectacle in court. We'll see if that helps him. You know, the indictments right. have helped him. We'll see if that helps him. And this is him. the New York business fraud case that he's dealing with. But the next case is the January 6th case. And if he is convicted, we'll see how people respond to that. That could very well be. But I never want to gamble on what the other guy is doing. And listen, <laughs> I can't say it enough. On the merits uh, of his performance, you know, I don't think Biden is getting the due he deserves. I think history will be very kind to him, but that's not the issue. And the issue is just what happens in November. And if you give me Joe Biden and his record, take 15 years off of him, I'd bet heavily on him, heavily on him. I think you can win that race, but I just worry that people have made a judgment And that judgment could prove to be an insuperable barrier. It may not. But that's what they should be thinking about. You ask me, what should the people who are closest to him and care about him, what should they be thinking about? That's what they should be thinking about. They shouldn't be sort of, hey, they they said we couldn't do it before. They said it in 16 and 20 and 22. And by God, that's locker room crap, but it's not really reality based. We're sitting here talking as analysts, but the truth is your words carry extra weight because of your background, right? Because of having gone through the campaign, the Obama-Biden campaign. Um, A quote from Steve Bannon, who was reacting to these comments, and he says, David Axelrod came came out out from Obama, speaking for Obama, David Axelrod, his chief strategist, and did the coup de grace. He put the bullet right in the back of... uh, metaphorically, in the back of uh, Biden by saying, you know, it's up to Joe Biden, but he really has to consider stepping down. They're coming at Biden from every direction. They want Newsom and Whitmer. The ticket they want is Newsom and Whitmer. Is he still, he's not in jail yet, is he, Steve Bannon? Not only he? that, he has, the po- the podcast is loud and no, 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 has, listen, what I, I'm saying is this is the perception that just by the dint of you saying something. I understand. That it's sending a bigger and broader signal. Let, let me say one thing, because I heard Ted Cruz uh, on Fox News, someone told me that Ted Cruz said, well, he must be speaking for Obama. I am not speaking for anyone but myself. 
I haven't spoken for Barack Obama since uh, the day after the election in 2012. I'm not a spokesman for Barack Obama. Has he been in touch with you about these comments? No, no. So I'm speaking for myself. And, you know, I will say I've been surprised since I said these things, just how many people wrote me and said, I'm glad you said that. Uh, It has to be said. So... Bannon and those guys, they're using it for their own purposes. I, I, you expect them to do that. But uh, this was not, I wasn't putting a bullet in his back. Uh, it, it was not friendly fire. It was none of that. It was like, it was just the truth. And everybody, uh, you know, I hear it so much from people who care about him, who care about him and care about the country. Uh, and so fundamentally, so, what's the reluctance? Meaning, I understand that the incumbent runs, right? And someone who believes they have a good record runs. And someone who performed well, right, in the midterms runs. But what do you, at the top of this conversation, I implied that it was sort of like not a thing to be said. Mm-hmm. What do you think that is about? Well, partly, partly because you know when you say it that, you know, there are demagogues and and worse, like Steve Bannon, who are going to take it and distort it and use it for their own purposes. And you don't want to be used that way. Part of it is you don't, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to be uh, banished from the tribe. Uh, you don't, you know. Um, and so I understand that. I understand why people are reluctant. And uh, but um, really, all I hope is that uh, people, some, the people who are closest to him are, you know, when they can get done fulminating about uh, my comments or anyone else's comments, that they are being honest with him. Now that this point has been raised, now that people are talking about it more, and I think in, in a lot of ways this recent public polling has sort of raised all kinds of uh, concerns for Democrats, what are you going to be kind of listening for next? Meaning, well, people I mean, talking look, about Kamala, <laughs> meaning no, no. people like well, sort of what are to you the, the way, various signals? A, you know, um, I mean, Kamala is going to be a big part of the campaign. Yeah. Obviously. And I should say Vice President Kamala Harris. Yeah. I don't know her. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not no, going to so refer right, to right, her in that no. way. But, but yeah. do, are there are there things that but, as a person who understands campaigns, you're going to be listening for in the coming months? To well, I mean, what I, look, I feel taking? very strongly uh, that uh, very few incumbent presidents can win a referendum in this day and age. It's a different age, you know, and there's so much angst and so much anger and social media fans, all these flames and so on. So you have to win a comparative race. What I'm looking for and waiting for, if if the answer is, you know, go take a hike, I'm in, then fight, then set up then make it clear every single day what the comparative is. And it's not just about democracy as important as democracy. Well, his is. argument now is don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Yeah, so start comparing yourself to the alternative. Start throwing this election in the frame. Obviously, Joe Biden has his liabilities, and those, you know, we've talked about them at some length here. Uh, but uh, he also has strengths and strengths that compare favorably with Trump. And be it on the economy or other issues. So start throwing this race into a comparative, aggressively comparative frame 
and don't act like this is a normal election. It's not a normal election. It's not a normal election because of Biden. It's not a normal election because of Trump. And it's not a normal election because of the stakes. And so I think what I'm looking for and what others would be are signs that there's a recognition of that. They just spent tens and tens of millions of dollars on ads about Bidenomics and, you know, heroic ads and so on. And he's doing worse now. Okay, that should tell them something. That's not the right path. This, the right path particular is framing. shining a bright light on what the comparatives are here and what the choice actually means. That should be a mission every single day. David Axelrod is senior political commentator here at CNN. He's also host of the Axe Files podcast. It comes out every Thursday. Please check it out. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. And this episode was produced by Dan Bloom. The senior producer of our show is Matt Martinez. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And the executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. As always, special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish.